Amen. Nehemiah chapter 5. And they said, all right, you've said that ten times. Okay, here we go. Verse number 1. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren of the Jews. Notice there. Listen, this is going to be a hard chapter. I'm just letting you know. It's going to be a hard one this morning. I hope you're ready for it. But he says against the what? The brethren. Last week we talked about two distinct enemies, Sandy and Toby, right? Toby from the office transported into the book of Nehemiah. Toby, the arch enemy of the regional manager, right? He came and showed up during this story, Sam Ballot and Tobiah. And they were, they were half, if you will, Sam Ballot was a half-breed. Uh, half Samaritan, half Jew, thought he had a right to help build. They told him in Ezra chapter 4, you don't have a right to help us build. This is going to be a pure work. And he was ticked off, so because uh, they wouldn't let him play their, their game, he was taking his ball and going home, right? But those are enemies on the outside. Today we're going to deal with issues really on the inside. These were, these were their brethren. Okay, just want to point that out. Moving along, verse 2. There were that said, we are sons, and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them, that we may have, eat, and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to what? Redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. Look at verse 6. This is Nehemiah's feelings towards it. And I was very what? Angry. When I heard their, their cry, so that, that word cry was, is also used in verse 1. We're going to go back to that. And these words. So we find here, if, if we were to just give a label to this chapter, the word would be injustice. Injustice. I think it's very fitting for today and in our current climate of what some feel to be injustice, what other feels to not be injustice, and all of the, the debate that is taking place. But the point is, is this chapter is specifically about injustice. In their, in and among their own brethren, their own people. Now we know that chapter 3, chapter 2, 3, coming into 3, through chapter 7, halfway through 7, it is specifically about them rebuilding the wall. That process took 52 days. So in 52 days, they constructed this wall. We already saw the other enemies rising up against them, but we know that this wall was nine foot thick. It was a heck of a job to get done in 52 days. We know that Nehemiah split them up into 40 different groups of people and, and then it basically did a roll call in chapter 3 about who those people were, what those gates were that connected the wall, and how it was applicable to the protection of the temple and why they were building this wall to begin with. So we know that there was a massive job to do in a short amount of time, and they got it done. But along the way, there were problems. And, and I submit to you that along the way, as God leads you to do things, huge, tall tasks, and he brings your purpose to light, there are going to be challenges to that purpose and things that will change your perspective. And, and this is uh, absolutely no different. This is no exception. 
So we find that there were, there were problems with these specific people that were carrying out the work. And think about it. If, if, you, if you didn't have food, if you didn't have the bare, the simple bare necessities of life, how would you do this hard labor and build this wall? Nehemiah, you, you have led us to this point. We know that Nehemiah was at, at this point the governor, and he is calling the shots, and, and the people that he is requiring to do the work are the people of this city, are the people that are going to benefit, and they don't even have food to sustain them through this project. So this is a huge problem, right? Can we see where this would pose an issue? So we see here in verse number one that it was, look at it, there was a great what? Cry of the people. So in the like context here, of obviously it wasn't English, it's a different language, that word cry carries quite a bit of weight. It carries the weight of uh, almost a legal issue. A, a, a cry, someone sending a message to a higher court, if you will, someone that could do something about the problem. So this isn't just like, you know, they were murmuring, they were complaining. No, no, they were, they were making it known. They wanted to see uh, attention brought to this injustice. It was a specific problem that required specific attention. Also, we see this same word used in other places where the outcry was something that the Lord heard. So not only do we have this like legal weight in this outcry, we also have weight to the fact that the Lord heard their cry. We, we can kind of draw that conclusion. What was the problem? What, what was the issue that they were crying against and what were they facing as far as we already discovered this in previous weeks? Nehemiah was a great leader. He was an incredible leader. So I, I, I assure you that at this point, Nehemiah heard the cry, which we know, but he prioritized the problems in order to efficiently prepare for the future, right? So let's look at this. We find that the outcry that was heard by God, this legal issue, was that the rich Jews were exploiting the circumstances of rebuilding the wall. The rich Jews were exploiting the circumstances of rebuilding the wall. And also, this was causing problems for the nation on all fronts, which we've already discussed. How are they to build? How are they to continue? How are they to uh, work for this common goal when they can't even keep their children and their family units together? What's the point of having a temple if I can't go worship with my family because of these injustices that are happening? Here were the three main problems that we see in chapter 5, uh, elevating them to the top for your observation. Number one, the needs of the people during a famine. We find that this was a famine. This was a, a time of challenge, uh, a time where it was lean. They were seeking grain, and they were having to sell uh, their fields and find the, the point number two, mortgage their properties for food. Why? Because it was a time of famine. So number one, we find that the needs of the people are the issue. Number two, mortgaging property for food is an issue. If you don't know what that means, it's like, uh, for instance, if we had a, uh, a house, right? You have a what? A mortgage on that house. So 
if you are looking to, maybe you have equity where you've paid, if the house is worth $100,000 and you've paid $50,000 down on that, then that $50,000 is kind of your money. It's your equity. It's what you have. It's your possession uh, of ownership in that mortgage. And so you go to the bank and you pull out a second mortgage and you say, and I think I'm explaining this appropriately if I'm not, uh, you get the point. <laughs> so you take a second mortgage to tap into that $50,000 that you have in equity in your house and say how they were at this point where they were literally taking their life's work to pay for their lands, right? And they were taking that money, going to the bank saying, I need to mortgage my house so that I can buy food. Can you imagine? You, usually in our society, you go and you pull money, equity, out of a life's work for another work that will contribute what? To your life. That is a, a good, maybe financial decision. I, I'm going to second mortgage, which I don't really, uh, uh, Dave Ramsey says, no, don't do it. Uh, but but I'm going to pull a second mortgage and I'm going to take this cash and I'm going to go what? Invest it. They weren't even investing it. They had lands, they had fields where, where that was their livelihood that was yielding something that they could sell, that they could buy their other goods with, and literally the Bible says that they were mortgaging them to buy food. They were in a bad way. Can we see this? It's not a good idea to mortgage for grocery money. Can we agree? That's what's happening. Number three, a third problem that I also see is that they were borrowing money to pay the king's taxes. We, we also have the fact that this was under the Persian Empire, and we already know that. Nehemiah would have known this. I mean, this would have been regular, common discussion with him. He understood the portion of the kings that is the kings that you must give back. Why? Because they were under that empire. And we find that even Jesus says, render unto what? Caesar the things that are Caesar's. They were in a bad financial way. Can we see it? We can see it. Those are the main problems. And let me just expound on this a little bit more culturally to put us there in the seat of both those that were in the bad position and those that were taking advantage. The Bible says in Exodus 21, 2 through 6, that interest was legal. If, if we read that, let, let's go ahead and read it. Why not? If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh year he shall go what? Free for nothing. Verse number three, if he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. Verse four, if his master giveth him a wife, she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be the master's, and he shall go out by himself. Verse five, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will, no, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him into the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and under the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. So, Rich, that would have been your job, okay? And he shall serve him forever. That's good, right? There were piercings in the Bible, right? If you need your piercings, see Rich, opening a new business. Uh, anyway, the, the, the point is, is what we see here in the text, uh, you get it all at Bethlehem. Thank you for joining us today online. God bless you. Uh, the the point is, <laughs> I don't know what the point is. The point is this, we see this exchange in Levitical law where, you know, where if someone fell on hard times, it wouldn't have been out of the question for them to say, I'm going to sell myself as a servant, not a slave, as a servant, not a slave, and I will serve you for a period of time. And then Levitical law made a way for them to what? Go free. But there were also situations where they served a good master. 
They, they had a good life. And that would be like, for us, a good job with a good pension. And we decide that we now have loyalty to that company and we sign contracts and we say, well, hey, we're going to stay because this is a good place to work. It was kind of like that situation. And so it wasn't always a bad thing where they were themselves what they had to offer and they actually made a good life for themselves. But the problem was it was their what? Choice at the end. Something innate that God has given us from the beginning is the ability to choose the free will of man, right? And when we exercise that free will, we see the outcome of our decisions, but those are the outcome of what? Our decisions. And the problem was not the interest or the usury, and we're going to see that in this text, that the nobles and the rulers were charging. It was the fact that they were literally putting them in a position of slavery and not servitude, right? The problem wasn't the interest, it was the physical guarantee. And then we find that there's, this is like kind of dark, and most of the commentaries agree. Look at it. Verse number five. Yet our flesh, as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and daughters to be servants. And watch this. And some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Most agree that this is the connotation that they were sold into being concubines. That their own brethren were taking advantage of their daughters by taking them as servants and what we would say sex slaves. This is not a good situation. The injustice that we see in the world, the human trafficking that we see in the world, the most grotesque as even a father, that it just makes me want to go load my 12-gauge and every gun I have and just obliterate the world because of the evil that exists. You understand what I'm saying? Please don't take that out of context. I'm not going to go kill anybody, okay? But the point is, is it, it enrages us to think that injustice could come to our own children. But that's what was happening. And, and most agree that this is a, a sexual thing that the author is saying. They were literally enslaving their girls. And these were their own people. It's terrible. Leave it to Satan and his spiritual forces to always put it out and about for us to take advantage of a situation in the wrong way. As the Holy Spirit leads us to redeem and restore Satan, he's the enemy. He hath, he hath come to steal and to kill and to what? Destroy. He, he's a roaring lion, and we see that here in the text. What they were doing was not necessarily wrong. They could justify their behavior according to the law. But just because they could doesn't mean they should. Here's Nehemiah's response. I like this guy. I'm telling you, if there's anything, it's just watching the way Nehemiah responds to all of these problems and issues that come up. I really enjoy his leadership. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I consulted with myself. You know, some of us would do well to have a conversation with ourselves. <laughs> And I don't mean like, what are you doing? I'm talking to myself. I don't mean like, you know, borderline cray-cray, but like literally like you need, to, you need to have a conversation with yourself before you go spewing it to other people. I see Nehemiah talking to himself in a good way. And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. That's the problem, right? 
and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I set a great, and I set a great assembly against them. So here's Nehemiah's response. We're just going to work our way through this passage. Listen, it's this. Nehemiah's response to these social issues. If you're struggling with how to respond to today's social issues, we would do well to take a page from Nehemiah's book. Sound good? Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Let me give you some pointers from Nehemiah. Here's the first thing I see. Number one, he was ticked off. He was mad. He was angry. Number two, he took a moment. Hey, before you go and and go on a posting rampage, why don't you just take a moment? Yes, being angry, I get it. I totally understand. This is an incredible injustice. And he's about to dig in their hind ends. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's It's coming. And it's going to be uh, unbelievable, and we're all going to learn and glean from how he handles this situation. But before he handled it, he allowed himself to get angry. Some Christians, I'm like, is there anything that makes you upset? It's peace, bro. I'm good. I'm loving the Lord and praying every day. You know, just because everything's good in your world doesn't mean it's good in everybody else's. Maybe it would do you good to get a little righteous indignation about the problems in the world. Rather than fueling your political agenda like everybody else, why don't we in the church say, I'm just upset. I'm I'm not going one way or the other. I'm just saying my spirit is not okay with what is happening in the world. Just get upset a little bit. Just get mad. Just, oh, I want to kick. Get ticked off. It's okay. But number two, after you get ticked off, take some time to talk to yourself. Mm. Self, let's have a conversation. You know, we would do, we would do well as a society. If you would just, just take them, and this ain't even the message, but it's a good one, you know what I mean? We can't just gloss over this. When you get ticked off, go take a time out and have a talk with yourself. Because then you'll be able to process what you're feeling Biblically and spiritually. To number three, what did he do? He told the truth. You see, what happens is you get all worked up, and what comes out is more feelings than fact. I I just can't believe all these things. And and it's all your feelings, which are good things. But if you take your feelings, Proverbs 16, 32, greater is he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Those that could run out and and, and orchestrate a battle and take over a city. The Bible says those that can orchestrate your own spirit are greater than those generals. We would do well to take a lesson from Nehemiah's book. Take a moment in your marriage. Take a moment in your child rearing. Take a moment to be upset at what happened, but take some time and talk to yourself. Because then after you talk to yourself and you commune with the Holy Spirit, you'll tell the truth. He goes, let me tell you noblemen something. And he was ready and he was prepared. All that was free. That ain't the message, okay? But that was worth the message, wasn't it? That's good. That's a good word. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> the nobles and the rulers were the target of his truth-telling. Now, as I expound on this and, and as we land, you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are going to find yourself in different places. Some of you will have a victim mentality and you will feel like the, the people who have the injustice against you. Okay, and I understand that. Some of you will automatically know through the Holy Spirit that you are the rich rulers and noblemen and and you are not handling the resources that God has given you properly. Wherever you land, hey, listen, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you through this lesson today. 
ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you land in this story, okay? All right. But I'm just going to give it to you the way that it's in the book. The nobles and the rulers were the target of his truth-telling. Nehemiah had what they had, but didn't do what they did. Y'all need to hang on to that for a minute. What was Nehemiah? Come on now. Huh? Which means he had what? Duckies. Nehemiah had some cash duckies. He, he was loaded. He was in a position of prominence. He, he had the backing of the king. Nehemiah could have very well done what they did, but he was in a position as a ruler and a nobleman. He was the governor of Jerusalem. He was in the position to say, I don't like the way you're handling that. Why? Because he had money. This isn't a message against people that have money. Nehemiah had it. This is a message against people using what God has given them in the wrong way. If you're here, God's placed you in the context of the church. How you use what God has given you, your abilities, your time, and your money, is literally what's, what's the topic of debate and discussion. So this isn't about, man, rich people fit through the eye of the needle. People take scripture out of context all the time. Rich people are evil. That's not. Nehemiah was rich. That's not the point. The point is not having or not having. It's what you have and what you're doing with what you have, okay? Anyway, number one, the observations I have that probed Nehemiah and that propelled him towards his action. Here's what Nehemiah saw. He saw, number one, God-given ability and resources should have a God-given purpose. Look at verses 8 and 9. Look at verses 8 and 9. Don't be distracted by the children. Let them play. Let them have, have a good time. We're so glad that they're here and that they're having fun and that they're playing. It's all good. Uh, it's just the season we're in. Look at verse 8 and 9. Stay with me now. Y'all are starting to get that glazed over, kind of hungry, kind of, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Where's he going with this? Stay with me. Verse 8 and 9. And I said unto them, them, Nehemiah, and, and <laughs> I think this is hilarious, right? Nehemiah, I'm telling you, he's a smart dude. What does he say in the end of verse 7? And I set a great assembly against them. <laughs> Nehemiah's like, check this out. I am so fed up with these dudes. And if I don't put some social pressure against this social injustice, ain't nothing going to happen. So he calls a meeting, but then allows a great assembly. So here's how I picture it. I picture it's like a courtroom, right? It's a legal outcry kind of thing. And Nehemiah calls all the people together. And I can only picture him putting the noblemen and the rulers right down front and saying, let's talk about it. And them knowing, think about it, they've entered a famine. There's a job to be done, and they know what they've done. All of those that couldn't afford, all of those that were looking for grain, all of those that couldn't afford to feed their families, know that they sent their families to those rulers and to those noblemen, and they had to sit there and in good conscience answer these questions. Can you imagine the social pressure in that room and that great assembly? Verse Verse 8, and I said unto them, Nehemiah to them, we after our ability have, stay with me now, we after our ability have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. Of course not. They're in a great assembly. 
They're all, well, yep. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 9. Also, I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? Nehemiah's like, look, our enemies enslaved our people, and what did God do to the heathen? He wrecked them. And now here you are when we have a plan and a purpose to rebuild the walls, and you're taking advantage of our people. What's wrong with you? You ever felt like that, where you're like, whoops. Holy Spirit done got him right there, didn't he? Nehemiah says God-given ability and resources should have a God-given purpose. Nehemiah is going to prove, and that's how we'll end the message, that he is leading by example here. But, but just know this, that when he is posturing this situation to resolve it so that the wall can be built, he is explaining that. Here's what I, here's what I see. He's saying, look, God has given you uh, abilities, and he's given you these, these uh, talents, and he's given you this wealth, and it should have a purpose. How many of us have abilities, talents that have no purpose? I can almost promise you, if they have no purpose, then they're misdirected. They're misdirected. God has brought you into his kingdom to be a kingdom player. Seek ye first the what? The kingdom. Take no thought for tomorrow. Worry about today, the plan that I have for you. So if we as fellow believers, I'm contextualizing this for 2020. Listen, if you have a God-given ability and a purpose, use it for God. Because if you don't, chances are you're misappropriating. The Holy Spirit gave you a gift. Use it. What answer did they have? None. Here's the second thing I see firing him up. Just because, and I already alluded to this earlier. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, likewise I, my brethren, my servants, might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let's leave off the usury. This is where Nehemiah goes, guys, look, I st I'm loaded too. And, I, and I'm, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, you know what I'm saying? How would Nehemiah say it in 2020? Maybe he pulled out his wallet and he's like, look, I got money too. What's, what gives? Let's not charge interest. Here's what Nehemiah says in verse 10. Here it is. The second thing he says this. Just because you can doesn't mean you what? Should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. We already saw that Levitical law. These guys were like, oh, a famine. What a shame. All right, who wants to work for me? <laughs> you know, you got a nice little patch of land over there on the other side of Jerusalem. I mean, how much do you really want your family to eat? <laughs> Nehemiah's like garbage. I've got lands. I've got money. I don't know. I think that's Nehemiah's voice right there. I got lands. No, you know, I'm like Chris Tucker. But the point is, is this. He's, he's like, look, guys, in the great assembly, why can't we leave off the interest? Why can't you just take care of your people instead of making money on your people? Easily, they could have flipped the script and said, it's legal. Of course it's legal. Of course I can do it too. But just because we can doesn't mean we should. Some of you, the greatest roadblocks to God's purpose in your life is not sin. It's, it's Christian liberty issues. Things that you justify every day of the week. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, but it doesn't mean you have to do it. It's not always a right and wrong issue, church. It's just, is this what God wants for me? 
But that would take self-control. That would take self-awareness. That would take having a conversation with yourself. And we don't want to do that nowadays. Well, you know, I'm just going to shoot from the hip. Of course you're going to shoot from the hip. Because if you prepare, then you'll have to do the right thing. The Holy Spirit of God, God forbid you actually tell me how to handle this situation. <laughs> then it might not play out to my advantage. I might get taken advantage of. Oh, how about you might have to love your enemy. Oh, you might have to lose your life for my sake. Oh, but guess what? You'll find it. The gospel, when are we going to realize that it is an upside-down view of the world? What do I see here driving Nehemiah? Nehemiah is like, number one, God-given ability and resources are for God's given purposes. And number two, just because you can, rich dudes, doesn't mean you should. Anyway. <laughs> we must stop justifying our behavior if we are ever going to change our behavior. We must stop justifying our behavior. We must stop if we're ever going to change it. The problem as a pastor in 2020 is sometimes I think we don't want to change it. Sometimes I think we're good with it. Well, you know, everything's great. For every one of you that everything's great, there's 100,000 that are struggling. There's 100,000 that are hungry spiritually. Flip the script and put this in God's kingdom and understand that we are sitting at a smorgasbord. We are, are under, we are so wealthy in God's kingdom. We have an inheritance in heaven because we have Jesus and the world is in a famine. The world is in a dearth. The world does not understand what the gospel is. We are so rich in faith and rich in love and God has blessed you with all heavenly places in your spiritual bank account, and we won't even have a conversation with the coworker across the aisle because we're so spiritually full. Stop justifying your behavior if you're ever gonna change it. Think about how rich we are spiritually. Just put it in that context just to be here and be worshiping and, and to feel the Holy Spirit. Do you know there's hundreds of thousands of people in our city right now that don't know what the Holy Spirit feels like? that don't know the richness of his faith and his glory as it fills our heart. The void of sin is its pleasure just for a season, but the, but the happiness that we have in God is eternal. And we're holding on to that like stingy rulers and noblemen. Noblemen and women. It's 2020. I'm trying, I'm trying. Okay, all right. That was a... That, you know what that was? That was a great assembly, and you guys just asked you a question, and you didn't have an answer. <laughs> just kidding. You're like, it's church, bro. I can't talk. Look, let's have a conversation. How do you guys feel about this, really? Tell me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we must stop justifying our behavior if we're ever going to change our behavior. Okay, the point of this is restoration, right? The point of this is, the point of this passage is Nehemiah is going to finish chapter 5, and he's going he's gonna to fix the problem, Okay? Is that cool? He's going to fix the problem. And they're going to go on to build the wall. They're going, to, they're going to go on to make this thing happen. And so I would love for us as a church to fix the problem. I would love for us as a church to fix the injustice. And, of course, this is not anything specific. But in general, to watch the way he handled this, I think it is uh, I think it's something that will work a change in your heart and in your life. So let's talk about this restoration 
and what it looked like for Nehemiah. How did Nehemiah get to the point where these people are literally selling their children into slavery so that their children can live and then fixing the problem? How many think that when you turn on the news, how many think that when you talk to your coworker, when you talk to your family member that has opposing views, that you just feel like this is never going to get any better? Anybody? This is never going to get any better. No one's ever going to agree. Thank you. Thank you, bro. <laughs> it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? It just feels, there's no use. Why even have a conversation with someone? Why, why let's put it in this context. Why even witness to people about Jesus? They're just going to call me a Bible thumper. They're just going to tell me I don't understand. I don't get them. Listen, that's a lie from the devil. It's a lie. He wants to keep us silent. He wants to keep us in our rut, in our routine, so that injustice continues. Listen to this statement. Injustice has the ability to be perpetuated by the rule followers as well as the rule breakers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Injustice, it doesn't need people that are looting the vans and the vehicles and the rioting. It doesn't need the rule breakers as much as it needs the rule followers. You say, what do you mean? Well, just look at Capitol Hill, right? <laughs> I didn't mean to go political on it, but I just did. The, the point is, is we see people that, politicians that maintain a position of following the rules that are just as much of the problem of injustice, right? If not more, than the people who are actually breaking the laws. Why? Because that's how it works. The devil is smart. He's a deceiver. So God forbid we as good boys and girls, we as good Christians, follow rules and actually perpetuate injustice instead of fix it. Well, how did Nehemiah restore this situation? How did he put into play restoration? Look at verse 9. I say unto you it's not good, and I, this is it. I won't be long. We're landing the plane. Likewise, verse 10, my brethren and my servants that might exact of them money, I pray you, let's leave off this interest or usury. Verse 11, restore, I pray you, to them. Even this day their lands, their vineyards, olive yards, and their houses. Also the hundredth part of the money. Don't have time to go into that, but it's a pretty good study. And of the corn, the wine, the oil, and that ye exact of them. Then said they, we will what? Restore them. We will require what? Nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. And we'll go a little bit further in a second. Guys, the problem was fixed. It was solved. Why is that? Number one, I see in verse nine, also I said, it's not good that ye do. Ought ye to walk after the fear of the Lord? Here's the first thing. If we're ever going to find restoration in injustice, you can apply it to a ton of areas. Number one, living for others is a mentality. It's a mentality. Verse number nine, Nehemiah says, it's not good. Nehemiah thought differently. Hey, if we're ever going to change our behavior, right? If we're ever going to restore, if we're ever going to be used for the purpose of God's plan and in his kingdom, we have to understand that to think about others is a different mentality. I'll just use them for, for an example. My wife's parents, we talk about this often. When I first met my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, it was, it was like common thing that every, st every stop sign that there was a homeless man, he's pulling out money and giving it to him. Anytime he heard of a need, he was fulfilling that need and even going without to supply it. And I would tell Sarah, I'd be like, your parents are very giving people. 
They're very generous. It's not always those that have. But generosity, living for others, it's a mentality. It has to be adopted. We have to, we have to purge this selfish behavior. If we're ever going to restore, think about Nehemiah's words. This isn't good. When are we as the church ever going to realize that we should have a mentality towards other people? Here's the second thing I see. Caring for the needs, living for others is a mentality. Number two, caring for the needs of others instead of your own is spirituality. Verse 11, restore I pray you. Give it to them. Actually act on it. And when we do that and we care for the needs of others, we find that that is spirituality. That is where Nehemiah put the emphasis. And we, listen, think about the trickle-down effect. The wall was not going to get built. All of the injustice, all of those that were to die because people were misappropriating their God-given purposes, abilities, and resources. So you have to consider the fact that God has given you something to perpetuate the kingdom. God has given you something to steward. He has given you something to apply to his spiritual context in order to effect a change. And when they chose to get in line and serve others, that spiritual resources, understand this, the job continued. What is not happening in the church because you are not falling in line in a spiritual mentality? We have to consider that, right? Number three, the thing I see here. Committing to live this way requires accountability. This, this is just gold. What, what, what we're about to look at in verse 12, look at it. This is gold. I love Nehemiah. Verse 12, then said they, we will restore them. Nehemiah's like, what's wrong with y'all? You need to think about other people, not yourself. What's wrong with y'all? You need to give it back and act the way you're supposed to act. Absolutely. Preach it. That's right. We're going to do it, Nehemiah. And then what does he say? Look at it. Look at verse, uh, verse 12. Then said we, we will restore them. We're going to get on board. <laughs> so will we do as thou sayest. Then I, Nehemiah, called the priests. And took an oath of them that they should do according to the promise. Number three, committing to live this way requires accountability. Yeah, we're going to pay it back. Everything's going to be good, Nehemiah. As they're like calling their accountant, yo, bro, wire the money. <laughs> but Nehemiah knew if this was going to last, they were to be held accountable for their spiritual decisions. Let me, let me make a stretch here and apply this to modern day 2020. If I had a dollar for everybody that said they were going to do something in the church or volunteer or serve in a way or make this change, I would be as rich as Nehemiah, just saying. The road to hell is paved with good what? We're going to do it, Pastor. This is going to be great. Of course you will. There's a great assembly. Everybody's looking at you. You're going to make the right decision. We'll give it back. We'll pay it back. We got you. This is going to be good. All right, Ananias and Sapphira, what happened when it came time to pay the bill? Oh, we did it. We gave it all. Holy Spirit. <laughs> it requires accountability. Do you understand that God gave the church context so that your brothers and sisters in Christ can remind you of your oath? Nehemiah was like, I'm sure you will, but just in case, priests come down. Let's make an oath to God. 
Priest, will you come down? Lead them, let's lead them in a prayer right now that they pledge to God that they are going to actually follow through, that they're going to pay back everyone, okay? Let's lead them in this prayer. And then Nehemiah shakes his purse at him, and he says, okay, guys, if you break the oath, I'm going to pray that God curses all of, your, all of your wealth, animals, and children, okay? So I'm yeah, great. What do I find? I find that making these decisions requires accountability. Here's what this means for us. If the Holy Spirit prompts you to make a decision, tell your brother and sister in Christ about it. Tell somebody. Pull them up and say, Mr. Dave, the Lord's working on my heart, and I just want you to know that I'm going to be faithful in my time and service, and I'm going to come clean the church every, every week for one hour, okay? Can, can you, like, help me with that? Can you ask me next Sunday if I actually did it? Can you tell me? Can you ask me that? All right, cool. And then Mr. Dave, I see him on Sunday, and I'm like, oh. And he walks up, and he says, hey, bro, how'd it go cleaning the church? Well, I, <laughs> I promise you the next week you're going to be like, I'm getting down there, even if it's only for an hour. Accountability. That's a, that's a silly illustration. But it's not silly. We see how Nehemiah used not only social pressure, but he used spiritual pressure. You made an oath to God. Hey, you know what? It's okay to make a promise to God. It is. In fact, it's good. What's not okay is when you break it. We are fallen creatures. When given the opportunity, we will go back on every promise that we, that we made. Because we're sinners. We see here that it was very important to their commitment to have accountability. I would encourage every one of you, when you make a spiritual decision, be accountable to someone for it. We have elders at our church in your small group. If you sit down in your small group and you talk about what the Lord's doing in your heart, why don't you say, hey, small group, hey, connect group, all my brothers and sisters, I'm putting this out there. This is something that I want to do. And ask them to keep you accountable. Like that's going to happen. <laughs> Just saying. Number three, committing to live that way requires accountability. And here's the last thing. Number four, executing this is a matter of reliability. Executing this plan of restoration is a matter of reliability. Look at verse 19. I love this. Look at it. Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done this for thy people. Nehemiah shows that this whole plan and process was because he was submitting to God. You know, you know, it's for not, if you look at number one, to have an other's mentality. It's for not to care for the needs for others and have spirituality. You know, it's for not if you in your connect group or in after service have accountability and you tell someone that you're going to make a spiritual decision. All of it is for not if you don't have reliability on God to actually make it happen. You will not follow through if it's a work of your flesh. But you will follow through if you pray through with God. As we end, look at this. I, want, I just want to pull back the curtain a little bit before I shut the curtain and have the invitation. You ready? Remember, Nehemiah calls the assembly, publicly shames them, has restoration, makes them make an oath. Who's this guy? Who does he think he is? Watch this. Verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor, Nehemiah, 
in the land of Judah from the 20th year even into the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king. That is 12 years. I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. My main man was leading by example. Verse 16. Yea. Oh, wait. Verse 15. But for the former governors that had been before me were, were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine, besides forty and shekels of silver. Yea, and their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I, because of the fear of God, reliability on God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall, neither bought we any land. You have to consider that. Nehemiah, the governor, saw what had to happen, understood that he had the wealth to buy up the land when it was a dollar an acre, when no one would have been able to charge him. He could have easily purchased it all, had it for a possession legally, following the rules. And then after the wall, after Jerusalem's economy began to kick back, after all of God's blessing and the prosperity, Nehemiah could have reaped the benefits, but he chose to not. Check it out. Moreover, they were at my table and 150 Jews and rulers besides those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Not that which was prepared for me daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowls were prepared for me. Once in 10 days store of the sort of wine. Watch this. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Oh, will God just give us eyes to see a broken world? Oh, will God just give the church eyes to look around to see a world that is in bondage, to see a world that is lost, to see a world that is broken? Of course God's going to bless you. Of course God's going to make a way for you. Of course God has given you unbelievable things and blessings, but for you to consume it upon yourself leads me to question whether we really fear our Lord. Nehemiah was moved because of the bondage of the people. I'm sorry, I'm scaring her to death. Church, how about we seek restoration? How about we seek to solve the injustice of what is happening around us? Does not Nehemiah give us a great plan? Yeah, but that's hard, Pastor. Ooh. Trying to do that. I got to take care of number one. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. I mean, just look at what happened when the pandemic hit the fan. There wasn't a roll of toilet paper to be found. And how many of y'all, if I went and opened up your family vault, God knows the Charmin bear was in there too. Y'all locked him up. Locked him up in the vault. Had enough food to feed your family for you. I'm not, I'm just, the mentality. I'm all for keeping your family safe and all of that. My point is, God, give us a heart for others and incline us to see that there's a spiritual battle happening. And we are spiritually full, but others are broken. Others need help. Let's seek first God's kingdom. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs>